Well, good morning, Field Church. <clears throat> Field Church. And my voice just went out there for a second. <laughs> good morning. You guys feeling good? Yeah, it's a nice cloudy day. We finally get a little break from the heat. It's feeling great. I was thinking this morning, um, just as we were standing there worshiping, I was just thinking about all the things that I'm thankful for. Uh, we get a chance to come here each and every week. And we get to hear the Word of God taught and be poured into by our pastor, Sam, who does an excellent job, and we're grateful for him. We get to come and we get to be poured into by our worship leaders and our worship band and Taylor and Tanner, who spend time writing songs like the last one we just heard, and to be invested in and poured into and be refreshed, and that's something I'm grateful for. We have a community of people who genuinely enjoy one another and want to spend time together. We were hanging out at my friend Seth's little um, baby shower, which I haven't done a lot of those for guys only, but that was a lot of fun. And we, we brought a bunch of diapers and we hung out and we did guy stuff. And I thought we were gonna come and do some like, you know, like little games and you know, all the things that the girls do at their baby showers. We didn't, I was a little disappointed, but it's all right, we had a good time. <clears throat> now we watched Kentucky beat South Carolina. We'll, <clears throat> uh, sorry. <laughs> And uh, it was a great time, so that made, that made my night. But I'm, I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for a wife who loves the Lord and for you know, how she helps along with Casey and other women invest in women here. And, and there's just so many things as I was just thinking and, and praying this morning, preparing, that I was just grateful for. I'm grateful to be a part of this church. I'm grateful to be one of your pastors, and I'm thankful to get to come here and, and do this. Ever so often, Sam gives me the opportunity to, to take the pulpit to talk about things like, oh wow, we got loud all of a sudden. Um, we, got, we get to t talk about things that are related to our hearts, and we take some time to a little break in between our sermon series to do what we call kind of a counseling series. And today is kind of our third installment of that. We're, we've talked about fear in the past. Um, we talked about that through the story of Elijah. Back this summer, we talked um, a couple months back, we talked about the idea of belief and how belief matters, and it matters to, to who we are and to what we pursue in life. And today, we're going to be talking about the subject of worth. Now, when I was thinking and praying about what to talk about, um, as Sam was letting me know that the time was coming up for another one of our, our counseling sermons where we, we deal with some different things that all of us can, that need help working through and relating to, I, I started thinking about a lot of different subjects. I started thinking about subjects of depression. I started thinking about subject of even suicide or drug addiction or all the things that many of us struggle with and that I've helped counsel and help many people through. And God made it very clear and it kept putting on my heart this idea of worth. And the reason is because the idea of worth, the subject of worth is in literally everything that we do. The quest for worth is usually the thing that's on the bottom and the root underneath all of those things and struggles in life that we find. And so for me, it was really important. And, I, and as I was preparing for this, I was telling some of the guys, this has maybe been the hardest one that I've worked through and prepared for because of the weight and the magnitude that this subject holds. The, the, it's kind of one of those subjects that has so many facets to it to explain and to talk through. And so I want to make sure that we do a good job and we handle it well. And also, it's one of those subjects that I relate to personally on a very deep personal level. 
In my life, I've always been highly aware of the subject of worth. I've always, even as a young kid, I used to think through some of these questions that we're going to talk about. And the reason for that is uh, most of my life, especially in the beginning of it and growing up and through high school and college years, I struggled with the feelings of worthlessness. Um, some of you have heard my story before. For some of you who are new or haven't had a chance to share it, um, I grew up in Kentucky. Uh, that's why I was so excited about our football team, because we've never had one. So it's, <laughs> except for when Dickie played, we kind of had one. So, <clears throat> but I feel like that was mostly luck halftime, but it's okay. I, I think it was good. I think it was good. Um, but growing up in Kentucky, I grew up in an area called Eastern Kentucky. Many of you have heard of that area because it's, it's kind of known as a pretty impoverished area. And um, I grew up on a tobacco cattle farm, and my family was extremely poor. We, I grew up in a single wide trailer with my older sister till I was like seven, sharing a room, bunk beds. My mom, to make some extra money, would she would clean houses for for some people in the suburbs uh, in town, and, and most of my clothing and things were from hand-me-downs from their children that they would send home with my mom. And so as I got older and started going to school, I dealt with a lot of bullying. I, I fought a lot in elementary school and things of that nature because of you know, being made fun of for being poor and not having much. And so in those, in those days, I started to really think about this idea of worth and starting to feel less than maybe the other kids and starting to realize that, that I didn't have the same things that everyone else had and starting to feel bad about that. On top of that, my, and we've made peace since, but my home life was, was pretty rough. My dad, not a believer, not really a happy person in general. Uh, none of my family really was and it was a real hard life growing up on the farm and, and he dealt with a lot of anger and so he would be what you would call verbally abusive if you would put a label on it. And so my home life, going home, spending time at home was not very safe, as you know you might say. <clears throat> and so in that, uh, I remember thinking when I'd go to friends' houses and, and I would see their moms and dads in and, and a situation where people were, were loving one another and there was, there was a different way of, of going about life and I remember wondering why that wasn't what I experienced. And, I remember thinking, even my son, he's in kindergarten, he's, he's five and a half, and I remember thinking, well, why? Like, why couldn't I be born into a family like that? You know? So I understand what it feels like <clears throat> to not have worth. And so, <clears throat> sorry. So as I grew, I remember looking for it in many places. <clears throat> Luckily, I, I found sports. In sports, I was good. I began to <clears throat> kind of raise to the top of my, to my class and started to get a lot of accolades. And I was really good at a, a lot of sports and mainly baseball. That was, was an area where I really found <clears throat> some worth. I really found ability. I really found my place. And, and so, <clears throat> as I grew, that was where I looked for it. And I began to become popular. <clears throat> and I began to um, find friends and be light. And, and so, <clears throat> sorry. 
This is not something that's easy to talk about for many of us. And so anyway, through that, <clears throat> through my life, that began, began to be the place where I looked for it. And I found worth. And I found it in that way. But <clears throat> the problem was, that's not sustainable. That's not a place where you can <clears throat> find your worth. That's not a place where you can look for it. And so I had dreams. I was going <clears> to <throat> make it out of my family. I was going to make a new life for myself. And I was going to go to college. <clears throat> I was going to be the first person in my family to do so. And, um, and, I ha and I was on the track for it. I was doing really well. Had some colleges looking at me in, in baseball and things of that nature. And, you know, and it was going to, it was going to happen. And then I had an injury that happened my junior year. And so the idea of playing sports was, was kind of gone. I, I'd gotten a few offers from colleges, um, for some smaller colleges, private colleges, and so, but even a partial scholarship, it was so expensive, it, it wasn't going to happen. And so, when that dream was gone, I got really depressed. And a lot of things that I'd hoped in and was looking for was gone. And so I did what everybody in my family should do. I was going to go to a technical college. I'd gotten good enough grades. And in Kentucky, there was a program called Keys. And if you get A's and B's in class, they put a little bit of money aside, and, and you get that after you graduate. And so I had enough of that money that it would pay for technical college. I was going to go. I was going to get an industrial maintenance degree. I was going to work in a factory. As many in my family did, that was kind of like the high, high point. If you if you succeeded, you worked in a factory, worked on the farm, like that was it. And if, if you didn't, you usually found yourself drug addicted or, or surviving off welfare. <clears throat> and so, hey, the dream was gone. I was just going to do what the rest of my family did, and, and that was what, what it was going to be. <clears throat> and I'm thankful for one of my best friends. His name is Matt Mofield, and he was a Christian at the time. We hung out together since we were like three years old. He was like a brother, and he was at Eastern Kentucky University. And he was in a fraternity, and he was having a great time. And I remember him coming back, and he was like, "Man, just come, just come, do it with me. Like you can do it. Like you can get financial aid, you can get um, student loans, all that kind of stuff. And and you can do it again." And so I did. Went through all that process. I was really really proud. Put myself through college. I joined the fraternity, and, and worth was restored. I finally felt like I was doing it. It wasn't the way that I'd hoped, but, <clears throat> but we were doing it. And But the problem is I was successful. And because of success, I started to realize like that wasn't really good enough either. I was making the good grades. I was on my way to a good job. I was on my way to graduating. You know, I had friends. I had relationships, you know, with girls. I was, I was living the, the dream that I thought was going to provide worth. And I was still miserable. And so I know that what we're going to talk about today is relatable to everyone because the subject of worth is underneath and in everything that we pursue. And what you believe about your worth drives everything in your life. The questions of who am I? What makes you valuable? Why do I matter? Like those questions are what drive your choices. And you may not even realize it. You may not even realize like that's what you're 
you're looking to for your worth. And so today I want to talk about that. It can be found, our pursuit of worth can be found in any and everything. I, I just want to give you some examples and ideas of what could be out there. Maybe you could relate to some of these, but it could be in the man or the mom and dad seeking validation through having kids who behave well. That you feel like you've done a good job as a parent if your kids behave well and around people and, and they may, maybe they embarrass you when they don't. It could be in the businessman who's, who's finding his worth in quarterly numbers and successes. And, and when that number comes in and we've sold a lot and we've done well, like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing great. But then when they don't, feeling worthless, feeling like you're less of a man in that way. It could be the person who looks at social media a little too much and checks the number of likes on the posts that they put out and wondering if people like it and look for that validation from the rest of the world as they check their social media. It could be the housewife who wants their, their house to look like a picture out of a pottery barn so that when friends and family come over, they feel like they're really doing a great job as a homemaker. You know, it's a person who constantly buys the latest and greatest thing, the house, the car, the tech, to keep up with the people around them to feel like they're successful. And I know that's a huge temptation in the area we live in because it's very affluent. And so it's, there's a temptation to keep up. It could be the person who doesn't really like crowds or going into social situations because they feel insecure and they don't really like having to talk to a lot of people or open up. It could be the person trying to find their worth in wanting to look like and feel like the model they see on the magazine cover. So they go to the gym and work extra hard and try every fad diet and buy all the new clothes. It can be the person who struggles with shame and turns to drugs and alcohol because they just want to escape for a little while and feel good. Or when they go to those social situations, they are able to open up and feel like they can be themselves. And it could also be the person who finds themselves struggling with thoughts of suicide because nothing really seems to fill that void and it doesn't really feel like it's worth it anymore. The point of giving you such a, a wide array is to show that it's everywhere. It's in everything, everything that we need, everything that we look to. And so my point is the pursuit of worth is in us as humans. And when we try to find it in places that we're not supposed to, it can be devastating and it impacts and affects not only us, but everyone around us. And so today I want to have one goal. I want to help explain and help discover where should we find our worth? Where do we find value? What makes us matter? I want to answer those questions in the right way. And to do that, we're going to look through a story in John chapter 4 from the woman at the well. Pretty popular story. Many of us heard it before. And so we're going to read a lot today. I know if you're you've been with us, that is normal. If not, bear with us. I promise we'll make it bearable. Um, we'll help you along. So turn to John chapter 4. And before I read, I just want to pray again. I want to pray for God to just really show us and expose to us what he wants to, sh wants to talk to us about today. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, for Jesus. I thank you that when we look to your word and we have these questions that maybe plague us or we have these voids that we don't know what to do with, you always have your answers and they're in your word. 
and we can look to him. And so I pray today, God, that whatever's of me, whatever that I am going to say that's out of my own logic, I, I pray that you would make everyone in here forget. But I pray that whatever is of you, whatever you want to say today, that you would speak through, through me and through your word in, this, in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, he was sitting beside the well, <clears throat> and it was the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You were right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, in this place where people ought to worship, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her, jar, her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They were out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone bought him something to eat? And Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white with, for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There's a lot in this passage, and so before I can really unpack and really talk through what is here, we have to understand a few things about the context of what we're talking about. And so first, we need to talk, talk about who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were a mixed race of Jews who had married into other tribes and other people groups. And if you know anything about the Bible, in the Old Testament, God was very specific to the Jews not to do so, because they would tear their hearts away, and they would lead them astray, and they would worship other gods and not Him. And so they had done that in this area of Samaria, and that made them detestable not only to the Jews themselves, but also to non-Jews. So they were detested by everyone. No one liked the Samaritans. And on top of that, the Jews didn't, they didn't even want to intermingle with them. They were, they were so detestable to them that, that instead of, there was this straight path from Judea to Galilee through Samaria, and in order not to deal with them, the Jews would go around them to the, to the east. Yeah, east, right? Um, over, they would cross over the Jordan and go like a whole other day's journey to get down to Galilee in order not to even have to deal with them. And so one thing that we see here I want to point out in verse 4, when it says Jesus had to, he had to pass through Samaria, that's not a statement of that that was the only way. Truthfully, most of the time Jews wouldn't pass through. He should have went another route if he was following the norm. But that's really a statement of divine appointment. Jesus had to go through. This was on purpose that he went through. The next thing we see there, too, is that it was about the sixth hour, which is about noontime, which is the hottest part of the day. Um, if you're here in the summer, you can kind of relate to probably what that feels like. At noon in the summertime, no one wants to be outside unless you're in a pool or something or in air conditioning because that it's too hot. And so the fact that he went there at this time of day was also on purpose because this woman shows up, which speaks a lot about the woman. Why would she be showing up in the middle, hottest part of the day? Because culturally and normally, people would come early in the morning or late in the evening to draw water because it was too hot during the day. So she specifically came to the well at that time of day so she would not have to be around people, and that speaks a lot to how she must have felt about her worth and who she was. Right? So we see these two things are very specific and on purpose. And so it's important for us to understand that when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, he had to because he had a person and a, point and a purpose for going at that time of day through Samaria. And so this brings us to our first point. God reveals our worth by pursuing us. God reveals our worth by pursuing us. And what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus' pursuit of the woman is really a commentary of the character of God and not the woman. It's easy to look at this and see that he had pity on her or maybe there was something special about the woman. That's not true. There was no intrinsic value of this woman. In fact, she was in a people group that were detestable, and within that people group, she was even more detestable. There's nothing good about the woman. But God is perfectly loving. God is perfectly good. God is perfectly merciful. 
And we see this played out in this action because he comes to this woman at this time, and it's a commentary on his value and his character and the value he's giving to the woman. And see, this pursuit of worth that we feel inside of us is one that is natural. We seek something pure, something good to make us feel good or to be good, and that's natural. That's, that's put there by God, that desire for that. How do we know that? Well, we, we see this back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I want to read it to you, but it will come up on the, the screen. In Genesis 1 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves in the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. It was good. In the beginning, when God created man and woman, it was good. We were good. God walked with us. We had a personal relationship with him. It was good. Nothing separated. Adam and Eve never thought once about their worth. They never questioned their value. They didn't have to. They had it because they're with God. But as we move forward in Genesis 3, which I won't read, but I'll summarize. Many of you have heard the story where Adam and Eve decided that they were going to do the one thing that God asked them not to do. And they were going to eat of the fruit of the tree that God asked them not to eat of. And they were going to disobey God. And in that one action, when they decided not to follow God, sin broke that bond. And shame entered in. And their worth was stripped away. And it became broken. And then God starts this eternal, historical pursuit of his people again. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament where he creates covenants and he, he gets his people through Abraham and he has his people, the Jews, who then through that comes the law and covenants that point to one day a Messiah and Jesus who's going to come and restore everything back to that. And in that eternal perspective, that historical perspective, God is also very intimate and very personal. And we see this in that big eternal perspective, he comes at the exact time to pursue this woman in the place that she needs to be pursued. And he does that for each one of us individually. This eternal, big, awesome God that has all this going on knows each one of us individually, what we need and where we're at, and enters into our story personally, just like he does the woman. And I don't know about you, but that means a lot. Because Romans 10, 9 through 10 tells us that as it's written, there's no one good. No one who seeks after God. There's, there's nothing good about us, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to save ourselves. We have nothing that gives us worth. 
But God enters into our story. He entered into her story. And because he entered in, because of his character, she has worth. And because God enters into our story, and he pursues us in his goodness, in his mercy, in his character, we have worth. He gives us worth. His presence gave her worth. So God reveals our worth by pursuing us. And I want to ask you, how has or is God pursuing you personally? Maybe for you, you're a believer, and you just need to be reminded of this, and he, every day as you spend time with him, he enters in, and, you, and you're reminded of this. Or maybe you're a believer, and you haven't really spent a lot of time with him, and you started looking for your worth elsewhere, and you're feeling convicted, and you need to repent and turn back. And maybe for you, this is the first time you've heard this story, and maybe God's entered into your story right now at this moment. And he's saying to you, you have value. You have worth. Because I created you. Because of who I am. How is God pursuing you? And how does that redefine your worth? How does the pursuit of God in your life redefine your worth? Reshape how you define it. So point number two. God exposes the worth that we lost because of sin. So in this time we see right here, when we meet Christ or when we see God, the first thing that happens is our need for worth is exposed. The worth that we lost because of our sin is exposed. Check out this, this commentary as we see between uh, this conversation between the woman and, and Jesus, right? Jesus constantly tries to point her to this spiritual need that she has, and she misses it. She's so distracted. He'll say, I give you this living water. And she's like, I, what are you talking about? You don't even have a bucket. Like, <laughs> where did you get it? Like, did you bring it with you? Like, I don't see any water. Like, what are you talking about? Right? And he's like, goes back again. He's like, no, no, I'll give you eternal life. And she's like, that's awesome. I want that water. Like, it's, it's hot. I don't like coming here. If I don't have to come here anymore, like, that'd be great. She's completely missing the point of what she needs, right? And I, I can get like that. I, and many of us, I think, can relate. We go throughout our days very distracted, and we're so often thinking about these mundane things and, and looking to the next thing or, or looking to these kind of just normal daily life tasks, and we just float through life. And I've lost a lot of time, and I've invented a lot of things because of my desire not to do mundane tasks. Like, I hate wrinkles, okay? I hate them. That's one thing my, uh, my wife's laughing right now because I don't have a, I have a few quirks. That's one of my quirks of like, I don't even like to go to the gym with like a shirt out of the drawers got wrinkles on it. Like I'll, I'll spray it and put it in the dryer and fluff it just because I hate wrinkles. <laughs> and I don't care what you think about wrinkles. I'm not doing it because I, I want you to, th I personally don't like how they look. <laughs> so don't think that it's an approval thing. Like I don't really care about your opinion. I just don't like them, right? And so... And Marie knows this. I've actually sat and talked and invented this thing that would be like a closet that you could put all your clothes in and close the door and it would like seal up and have like rubber, you know, and then it would steam everything. <laughs> right? 
And if you've invented that, you should put it out there. And if not, don't steal my idea. I might, I might invent that. But then, then you could open the door and like, man, all my clothes are completely wrinkle-free. Or anybody remember the Jetsons cartoon? Yeah, yeah, some people, not everybody. But I remember as a kid watching that and like the little conveyor belt where like it wakes him up and stands him up and takes him to the shower, does a shower, puts his clothes on him, you know, gives him breakfast and like he's ready to go out the door and it just all happened for him. I would give my life savings for something like that. I hate, <laughs> I hate mornings. I'm not a morning person. I'm not a great conversationalist in the morning. Uh, I need at least five cups of coffee before I'm ready to think about anything. If we meet for discipleship in the mornings, you know this because usually I don't start really engaged until about halfway through. So I'm just, I'll ask you like two questions. You just go ahead and talk. I'm just going to keep drinking. And eventually I'm ready to respond. And so if I had that, man, I would do it. And I think about these things. I go throughout my day like, man, I wish this was easier. I wish that was easier. And so distracted. And I don't even really think about the things that matter half the time. And this woman, she's so distracted. She's still thinking about, I just, she just doesn't want to do this task anymore. And she's probably thinking like, okay, well, I got I to gotta go home and, and I got to take care of the house and I got to get this water home so that we can use it for, for dinner and to drink and probably to take baths and to clean up. And she's got to do that every day. And all she's thinking about is that. And Jesus is trying to talk to her on a different level. And she gets to the program when Jesus says one statement. Go call your husband. And you can just imagine how that, it's like a record screech. Like, uh, we're not talking about water anymore. <laughs> like, whoa, like, where'd that come from? She's like, I don't, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you've had like five. And the one you're living now is not your husband. It's like, gut punch. Like, oh my goodness. Like, what, who is this guy? You know, like, things got real fast. But what happened in that moment was Jesus exposed her sin, and when he did that, he exposed her need for worth, which is what he was trying to get her to pay attention to in the first place. She was missing it. She was so distracted. And when he exposes her sin, that need for worth is exposed, and oh. And I can just put myself in her shoes in that moment of how, like, oh, the shame, the shame that you know she had to have felt, so much so that she would come in the middle of the day to draw water. And it probably came rushing to her in that moment. And I don't know about you, but it takes a minute. Like, we have to stop. There's so many things that we do, so many things that we're distracted with, so many things that we pursue, and we never take the time to ask ourselves real questions and contemplate, why, why do we do what we do? So often we just go through the motions. But when sin is exposed even though it seems like something that would hurt, it's freeing. Because we can start talking about answering the right questions. So the question I have for you before we move on is, are you going through the motions? When's the last time you stopped to actually think about why you do what you do? If you feel down and depressed, why? If you feel anxious, why? If you feel like you're running a rat race going from project to project, thing to thing. Why? If you get really excited when you get that bonus at work, why? If you do feel ashamed when your kids act up in public, why? <laughs> That's right. 
He said, why? Right? Are you going through the motions? Are you filling the void with sinful pursuits? Stop and think about your habits. Stop and think about what you do on a daily basis. Stop and think about your routine. Stop and think about what you spend your money on. Stop and think about what you spend your time on. Why? Are they the right pursuits? Do they bring joy and peace? Do they satisfy or are you thirsty? Because this woman, what Jesus was trying to help her see, her soul was thirsty. She was so thirsty. And everything she kept trying to do, she wasn't doing that. Like, I don't think she was on purpose trying to have five husbands. I think every time she met a guy, she thought it was going to be satisfying and probably was going to be her family until it wasn't. And then she did it again, and it wasn't. And then she did it again, and it wasn't. And she kept trying to fill that void with a relationship. And she was so thirsty. Are you thirsty? Are you filling the void with sinful pursuits? So God exposes the worth that we lost because of sin. Number three, God restores our worth by giving us himself. God restores our worth by giving us himself. Look what, after that dialogue, she starts out, Well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So, okay, I get it. I need God. I need something. I need salvation. Okay, eternal life. I get it, but I'm a Samaritan. We're supposed to worship here, but your people say the real place to worship is over there, and I'm I'm not allowed to worship over there. What do do you want me to do? What, What do you mean? And then God says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, and He who is called Christ, he will, when He comes, He'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am He. So in that moment, it's not about... Your religion, it's not about your works, it's not about how much you read your Bible, it's not about how much you pray, it's not about how much you come to church, it's not about how much you serve, it's not about how much you give. There is nothing that will earn you the worth that you seek. It doesn't matter which mountain you worship on, because God is spirit, and you're going to worship in spirit and truth, and what Jesus is saying is, you need me. The best part about salvation is not the eternal life part, and it's not not spending eternal life in hell. It's that you get to have me again. You get to be restored back to Genesis 1 and 2 when I just walked with you and and you had me and you didn't really even understand or know that you you were missing anything. You didn't question your worth because you had it because you had me. Salvation in the gospel is primarily about God and the fact that you get to have him. God is spirit, and you get to worship in spirit and in truth. Ephesians 1 says, when you believe in Christ, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In verse 14, you have God. You get God. That's what you're missing. No amount of religion, works, or anything will give you that. 
When you have God, you worship Him. You have worth again. And yeah, you read your Bible so you can see Him. And yeah, you pray because you talk to Him. And yeah, you sing songs to Him. And yes, you serve in His name. And yes, you give because He gave it to you. You get God. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell her. Listen, you say you're looking for the Messiah? You've been talking to him the whole time. God restores our worth by giving us himself. And when you believe in Christ, you get God. So I've got a couple questions before we move on. Is having God good news to you? Is what I just explained good news? And I want you to really contemplate that. Because listen, some of us want the things of God, but we don't actually want God. There's a big difference. I want you to contemplate that. Is what I just said good news? Is having God good news? Is He your treasure? Because if he's not, you're missing the point. And you will not find worth in the things of God. You will find your worth in God himself. Number four, last one. We're almost done. Everybody makes fun of Sam because he goes so long, but I think every time I do this, I go way longer than he does, so... I do that so you can't wait to have Sam back. <laughs> uh, number four. God works through his disciples to restore worth to the world. God works through his disciples to restore worth to the world. We see two things happen at the same time here. First is with a woman. Look at what she does. It's very curious. Remember how ashamed she was. Remember the time of day she came to the well. And what does she do in response? Like after Jesus says, I who speak to you am he, she drops her water jar, leaves it there, runs to all the people in the town that she didn't want to spend any time with, and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. He told me I've had all these husbands. He told, he told me that I'm a harlot. He told me all these bad things about it. It's awesome. Come see. <laughs> That's, that is not the response that you would think that you would have. But why did she have that response? Because she was free. She was free. It didn't matter anymore. The worth that she'd been looking for, she just realized she'd been looking in the wrong place the whole time. And she just got it. She just got God. She just spent time with the God of the universe. Jesus, our Savior. Who cares? Who cares? So her response was to go tell everyone, listen, we've been put to shame all these years, these generations, you Samaritans, guess what? It doesn't matter. Come. I just talked to the guy, the Messiah. Come see. He told me everything. Trust me. It's him. Come see. And then we see this, this second story happen at the same time. The poor, dumb disciples who always need a little help figured out what's supposed to be going on, right? The woman gets it, and the disciples come back, and they're like, all right, we got you some food. And he's like, hey, you know, I don't need, he's like, well, who bought you some food? Like, they just couldn't 
grasp this whole idea of like, you got to be like, what are you doing? You got to be hungry. It's got to be food. And Jesus is like, listen, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He's trying to redirect their focus to spiritual things. He says, there are four, there, he said, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white for harvest. Disciples, we're not here to eat. Look up. There are people all around you who need me, who need worth, that, that are feeling worthless, that are, that are apart from me, that are lost. Look up. Like, what are you doing? We came to tell people about me. And you're worried about food? Look up. And that's what God's saying to us, too. Those Christian in the room, those who know Christ, look up. How often do you look around in your day-to-day walk and journey to the people in your world, your areas of influence, your family, your friends, your co-workers, the, the people you run across in the places you go on the regular basis, the gym, the coffee shop, wherever? Look up. There's so many people striving to find worth in so many things, and they're all around you. And you have God. Look up. They need God. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't think about trivial things like food. Like we can eat later. Look up. I know you're busy. I know you got a deadline. But that coworker wants to talk to you. Look up. Stop. Take 15 minutes. It might be an opportunity to share your life with them, and maybe even Jesus. Look up. The harvest, it's white with harvest. There's people everywhere. That is the joy that we get to have. When we have God, the greatest joy is we get to give it away. We get to, we get to be ambassadors. We get to point people to Christ. We get to tell them about Him. We get to give people the worth that we now have. Don't hold that to yourself. Look up. Look up. As we close, uh, I want to finish my story. Because I'm thankful there was a guy named Josh Duncan who did this in my life. There was an organization on Eastern Kentucky's campus um, named Campus Outreach. And he was on staff. And, and their whole goal was to build relationships with students, and they, especially fraternities and sororities. That really was their area of ministry. And to build relationships, to build friendships, and for the purpose of sharing their lives and sharing Christ. And... I'm thankful that he did that, that he, his eyes were up because I was the woman. And through a tragedy, my best friend, his dad, passed away <clears throat> unexpectedly. But through that funeral, I met Josh. And then Josh began to hang out with me more. And he, met, he began to ask me to come play basketball or to have lunch. And he would ask me questions, and he was asking me these heart-level worth questions, like, why are you doing that? Like, you know, I'd be like, man, I was out partying all night, and, you know, telling him all these stupid stories, you know? And he's like, I mean, how do you feel today? <laughs> like, I'm feeling a little hungover and not so good about my choices last night. Like, well, why did you do that? You know, he just asked me those type of questions, and it was annoying. <laughs> but... He was exposing my need for worth. He was helping me understand that I'm looking for something. And for eight months he did that. Eight months he hung out with me. Eight months he spent time asking those questions. He would share the gospel in little ways and sometimes really explicitly. And then my junior year when I was 22, Christ entered my life and I became a Christian. And I understood worth. I understood 
the worth that God was giving me. And I understood that there was more to my life than what I had thought there was. There was more than successes. There was more than finding value and, and just being better than my family or having a spouse and having kids and being, you know, having a lot of money, thankfully, because that's not the dream that came true. Now, um, and all those kind of things, like there was so much more that what I was really looking for was, was Christ, was God. And I got that on that day. And ever since, it's been a journey of growing in that understanding. So as I leave, I want to just read one passage to you. Because for those in the room who, who don't have a relationship with God, I want to share with you how you can. And if you have more questions about the gospel and what that looks like to have God, if you're feeling what we've been talking about today, come see me after. Come see Sam. Come see any of our staff. Write it on one of those prayer cards. Drop it in the box. Like, we want to, I'll have coffee with you. We want to spend time with you. We want to, I would love to share with you what that looks like and to talk more about this. So if, if you feel drawn by God today, like, don't stop there. Don't stop there. Let us help you. But this is a passage that Josh kept telling me over and over again, and I want to leave you with this. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe he is God, if you believe he is the Messiah, all you got to do is ask him. Because he will restore all the worth that you've been looking for. And he will enter into your heart and he will be your savior and you will be restored back and you will be saved. You don't have to question that. And so my hope and my prayer is that when you answer those questions of who am I, what makes me matter, what makes me valuable, I hope your answer is Jesus and that he's your treasure. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, I come to you and I'm very thankful today of this truth. I'm thankful for the freedom and the hope that you provide through your word. I'm thankful for the gospel that your son Jesus would come and live a perfect life that we couldn't live and take your entire wrath on the cross so that we wouldn't have to and defeat sin and death so we didn't have to to die and be apart from you anymore, but that we could be restored back to you through faith in him. I'm thankful that we get to have that. And I pray that for anyone who is seeking that today, that they would have that too. And that you would enter into their hearts and save them. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.